so as Brogan said, we're reading from Matthew 25 today, starting at verse 14. So I'm going to read it to you now. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But then the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who'd received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and will have in abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. So I appreciated Brogan's analogy there of wading through gunge because this parable, whenever I read it, my initial reaction is it is really hard and there is a lot to wade through here, but it's important that we don't just shut the book and ignore the more difficult parables of Jesus. We need to really wrestle with it and get to grips with what God is trying to teach us through it. So this parable is told to Jesus' disciples when they're on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus has just been preaching to uh, big crowds and he's been rebuking the Pharisees. He's called them hypocrites in front of everybody. And he's also been um, teaching about the end times and how Jerusalem and Israel and God's people can be prepared to receive the Messiah when he comes again. So um, he's now withdrawn with his 12. He's with his closest followers. And in love, he warns his disciples against hypocrisy too against claiming to know who God is, but ultimately underestimating him. And at its core, this parable isn't primarily about the bags of gold. These bags of gold are really important. They represent the responsibility that God has given us. And it could be financial responsibility. It might be leadership responsibility, our jobs and our roles and our giftings. But mainly, 
Jesus isn't teaching us about what we're given by God so much as he's teaching us about how we respond to him and what he gives us. This parable is about relationship. It's about our relationship with God and knowing who God really is. And the third servant makes two mistakes that we're gonna unpack today. First, he misunderstands who the master really is. And second, he underestimates what he's been given. And by doing so, he takes it for granted. The third servant lacks the passion and the zeal and the fervor that the first two servants have when they get their calling from the master. He's lukewarm, he hides what he has, and he takes it for granted. And these are both tendencies that we can slip into in our relationship with God, and we need to guard ourselves against. Maybe you're sitting at home watching this online, having always thought that actually part of God is angry and hateful, that he couldn't possibly forgive us for all of the wrong that we've done that he wants to punish you for the wrong that you've done. Maybe even that this pandemic is a punishment in some way. But that is not who God is. It's not what the Bible teaches us. It's not what we discover in this parable. So let's not misunderstand who God really is. Or maybe you slip into the second tendency. And as I've been preparing for this sermon, this is certainly where I found myself. You've been letting yourself get lukewarm You've lost a passion for what God has given you and you take it for granted. For me, working during this pandemic since March has just been completely unrelentless. I work as an English teacher in a secondary school and it has felt totally nonstop and it has absorbed all of my headspace trying to stay on top of teaching online and teaching in a classroom. It's felt really chaotic. And actually, as I was preparing for this sermon, I've realised that in my busyness, I've been neglecting my relationship with God. And in my mind for a moment there, logically it felt easier to me to just keep God to Sundays and then my morning commute. When I drive to work, I listen to worship music and devotionals and podcasts and spend time with God. But then I was just leaving it there. And I wanted to be in control of my busyness. I didn't want to let God into that part of my life because ultimately I knew if I let him in, I would have to change. I would have to pay attention. And I wanted to be in control. But I thank God that actually he knows me and he cares for me and he's put me on the preaching rota for this week when I'm preaching on this sermon, which means that actually I've been convicted this week and God doesn't leave me there in the mistake. Actually, all week he has been guiding me and helping me and convicting me and showing me how to change. So there is grace for us all as we read this parable. He's given us his word to teach us how to be better. He's given us each other to sharpen one another. And he's also sent his Holy Spirit to help us and to guide us. So we're going to be exploring these two tendencies today, a misunderstanding who God is and also taking what he's given us for granted. So this parable of the bags of gold, it's also known as the parable of the talents. Um, It's about a master who's very wealthy and he's gone away on a long journey. And before he goes, he gives his possessions to his servants to look after. And he chooses three specific servants who he knows really well. 
It says each according to their ability. He knows the ability of these three men. He knows how much they can handle, what their capacity is, how much responsibility they should have. And he shares out his money among them. And one bag of gold or one talent is the equivalent of 20 years worth of wages for a common laborer in Jesus' day. So there is a lot of responsibility that these three servants are given. The first servant is given five of those bags of gold to look after. The second is given two bags and the third is given one. And then the master leaves and he goes away for a really, really long time. And in the meantime, the first, the first servant sorry, trades his five bags of gold really successfully and makes five bags more. And same with the second servant, he doubles his two bags of gold by the time the, the master returns. But the third servant, he takes his one bag of gold and he digs a hole in the ground and he hides it. Now, this is actually really common practice in Jesus' day. So they didn't have banks and, and security in the same way that we have today. So if you had something really valuable that you didn't want to lose or you didn't want to get stolen from you, it was normal to actually bury it in a field. And Jesus even uses this um, as an analogy earlier in Matthew 13 when he likens the kingdom of heaven to a field with buried treasure in it. So actually the disciples, when they're listening to this story, they would have thought that the response of the third servant was initially quite sensible. It's a really normal and safe and sensible thing to do when you're given something valuable. But when he comes forward with his one bag of gold to the master, he has an excuse which we didn't hear about before. And he says that he's heard that the master is a hard and cruel man who's basically greedy and makes profit and takes profit where he's not put any work in. And he says he was afraid of losing some of this money and being punished for it. So he hid it in the ground for safekeeping. But the third servant's really got himself into a bit of a mess here because what we know from the story so far is that the master is nothing like the man that the third servant has just described. He has totally misunderstood who the master is. And the master sees right through his excuse. He says, well, hang on a second. If you really believed that I was hard and cruel and greedy and that I would punish you if you didn't make profit, then you would have given the money to the moneylenders who would loan it, make interest, and you could have made profit and pleased me with little to no effort from you. The master goes on to say, actually, no, in reality, you're just lazy. You've avoided your responsibility that I've given you. You've taken it for granted. And so the master takes away his one bag of gold, gives it to the servant who has 10, and then casts the third servant out into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I think it's okay to admit that this parable is kind of scary. There are huge, huge consequences for the way in which we respond to God. But first, I wanna look at the characteristics of God because when we realize who God is, it becomes much less scary. So the master is the authority figure in this parable. So that means that he teaches us something about the characteristics of God. And we see from the master in this story that actually God is trusting. So he gives away what's his for others to steward. And we also learn that he's relational. He knows his servants. He knows their capacity, their ability, how much responsibility they can handle. And he gives to them accordingly. 
we learn that he's generous. He gives his servants a huge amount of money. And then when he comes back at the end, he invites them to share that with him. He invites them to share in his happiness. And we also learn that the master, that God is faithful. He returns to his servants as he said he would, and he rewards them fairly for their work. And there's this accusation against the master that he's a hard man, but this excuse from the third servant is a lie. It doesn't match up with what we know about the master from the parable itself, and it doesn't match up with what we know about God from his word. It's born out of the fact that the third servant doesn't actually know who the master is, and he he doesn't trust him either. Through giving the servant this money and this responsibility, the master is inviting him into a trust relationship. And the third servant chooses not to enter in. He chooses not to trust the master. And the first and second servant's responses teach us that actually this master is faithful and trustworthy and generous and that he longs for relationship with his servants. He longs to invite his servants to share in his joy and in his happiness and in his resources. And granted, yes, the master does get angry with the third servant, but it's really important to look at this in the light of what we know about God. So Jesus is telling this parable just before his imminent arrest and then crucifixion. He's sitting on the Mount of Olives with his closest followers and he knows that he is heading to the cross. So our God is not a hard and a cruel God who abandons us to do things on our own. Our God is a God who sacrifices his one and only son to pay for our mistakes. He's a God who in love, gets nailed to a cross and tortured so that he can take away our punishment from us. Our God is love, but he's also a God of justice. And we hold these two things in tension with one another. He loves us and he forgives us, but we know from this parable and we know from other parables, we know from what Paul teaches us in Romans 14, that actually we will be held to account for how we live our lives on the earth. And actually God is a judge as well as being a God of love. Jesus is coming back and he's gonna settle his accounts with each and every one of us. And we need to make sure that we're ready to come before God and to be held accountable for our lives and the choices and the decisions that we've made. But let's not misunderstand this God of justice. His justice is not hard and it is not cruel but it's loving and it's relational. He's not left us alone to make these choices on our own. Because if he had, we would all be like the third servant all of the time, right? I certainly see myself there a lot of the time and I'll talk about that more later. But actually in love, Jesus teaches his disciples on the Mount of Olives before they get to the stage of being the third servant. And in love, Jesus teaches us by having given us his word. And in love, Jesus gives us one another. He's given us the church to sharpen each other and support one another and pray for one another. And in love, Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit, who's known as our counsellor and our guide and our helper. And he's here to convict us and encourage us as we go about our day-to-day lives. God has not abandoned us. He is not hard and cruel but in love, he's helping us to be more like the first and second servants. 
So let's explore the first and second servants in a little more detail. They understand who the master is. They know the master. They know his character. They know that they can trust him and they know that he's faithful. And they recognize the responsibility that the master's given them. They understand that the master has chosen to entrust them with it. And they don't take that responsibility and just put it to the sides. They actually run with it. They let it completely impact and change their whole lives. And they spend the whole time that the master is away using what he's given them in a beautiful and abundant and prosperous way. It changes them and it transforms them. And then as a result, they are rewarded and God invites them to share in everything that is his. And I think what's really significant here with the first two servants is that the master treats them both completely equally at the end. He calls them both faithful. He promises to them both that he will give them even more and he invites them both to share in his joy. So the parable, while the bags of gold are important, it's not all about what we are given. It's about how the servants respond to what they're given. It's about how the servants respond to that invitation of relationship and trust. And these two servants, it doesn't matter that one has five bags and that one has two, they are both faithful. And that's what pleases God. That's what pleases the master. So through teaching us this parable, Jesus is encouraging us to be like these two servants, to have a heart posture of willingness to do what God asks of us, to follow our calling and to be faithful to God, our master, knowing that he is also faithful. Now, the third servant takes his bag of gold and he hides it in the ground where he knows it's gonna be safe. This is where the challenge starts coming in in this parable. He knows it's there. He knows that he can collect it and give it back whenever needed. And so he thinks he's safe he's comfortable, he can get on with his life. Essentially, he's taken this little bit of responsibility and chosen to just shift it to the side. So he doesn't feel like he's doing anything wrong, but he also doesn't have to worry about it and he can just get on with what he wants to do. But as a result, he is cast out to a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's an image that Jesus uses six times throughout the Gospel of Matthew. And he uses it to refer to hell. And we can't avoid that here. It's difficult to read, but the third servant is cast out into hell for his mistakes. And it's difficult because there's no awful crime here. It's not like the third servant has been fraudulent. He hasn't wasted the money on sex and alcohol like a prodigal son figure. Actually, what the servant does with the money is what lots of people in Jesus's day would choose to do with the money. He hid it in the ground for safekeeping. So actually, what is his crime and why does he get such a harsh punishment? Well, the third servant is faced with a choice. He's entrusted by his master. There's this invitation of a trust relationship and he could choose to engage with God and to engage with what he's been given or to ignore it. There are two options. And this servant chose to put aside what he'd been given for safekeeping and in doing so he totally misunderstood who God is and he completely underestimated what he'd been given and took it for granted. 
Whereas the first two servants respond with a passion and an enthusiasm and an excitement and a zeal for what they've been given, this third servant is lazy and he lacks passion and he lacks fervor and he's not excited by it. If anything, he sees it as a bit of an inconvenience. He doesn't want any hassle from it. He doesn't want to have to make any changes to his life or take any risks. And so he takes it for granted and hides it for a really long time. Now remember, the master is away for absolutely ages. And in all of these parables that Jesus is telling, the authority figure is always delayed. So he's gone for a long time and every single day that the master is gone, the third servant makes the choice again and again and again to to, to not go and get the gold, to not use what God has given him. So he is steadfast in his refusal to engage with God. And it's this that he's condemned for. It's not the fact that he's produced less than the other servants. It's the fact that he wasn't even willing to try. And I know that I can be like this third servant. And as I've been preparing for this sermon, I felt really convicted by God that I am too much like this third servant. And that actually, I believe that God wants to say that to lots of us this evening as well. So I just ask that as you're listening to this sermon, um, Holy Spirit, would you be speaking to us? And would you just have your hearts open to listen to what God is saying to you? Because for me at the moment, especially in the chaos of this pandemic, I feel like I've let myself get lukewarm. And it looks practically like an unwillingness to let God in to every area of my life. I have this tendency to focus on God on Sundays, to focus on God when I'm Sabbathing, and to focus on God in the mornings when I'm listening to devotionals or being led in worship by somebody else. But then when I get to work, I just keep God over there and I focus on my busyness. And my busyness and the tasks, all the stuff that I have to do on my to-do list, they're being shaped by my own need to control rather than being shaped by God. And just like the third servant, basically I'm trying to play it safe. I'm trying to stay in control of what I've been given so that I don't have the potential of loss, but actually I'm losing out on the potential for gain. I'm losing out on the opportunity to share in the happiness and the joy that God offers us. And for some of us, this might look like keeping God to Sundays and not letting him impact our university work or our relationships with our housemates. It might look like knowing that actually you're called to leadership and you're called to lead something significant, but at the moment you're avoiding it because you know it's gonna be really hard. It might look like the responsibility that parents have to shape the discipleship of their children but feeling like that's a really heavy burden to carry. But let's remember that this is all about relationship. Jesus isn't as focused on the outcome as he is on our response to him and our relationship with him. So if you feel burdened by a sense of responsibility or you feel like you've been avoiding responsibility or you feel like you've lost your passion for what God has given you, 
the invitation is for us to bring that to God in the context of our relationship with him, to know that he does not leave us to sort this out on our own. So Jesus teaches us in this parable to ask us to examine our own hearts to see if we fall into either of these tendencies. Do we misunderstand who God really is? Or do we take for granted our relationship for him and not let it fully impact our lives? And first, I want to address those of us who've misunderstood who God really is. Those of us who've fallen into the trap of believing this lie that God is hard and cruel or angry and spiteful. That he's angry with you for getting things wrong. That he causes suffering in your life to punish you for your sins. That he couldn't possibly forgive you for the amount of wrong in your life that he doesn't know you or care for you, that you're insignificant to him or that he he wouldn't waste his love on you. But that is not who God is. That is not the God of this parable and it is not the God of the Bible. Our God is a God of love. And I ask that if you want a fresh revelation of who God is, while you're sitting at home in your living room, your bedroom, wherever you are, would you just close your eyes from distraction and pray with me now? Father God, we are sorry that we've misunderstood who you are. And we pray that you would transform our hearts and our minds so that we fully know that you are loving and trustworthy and kind that you are faithful and good to each of us, that you love us as your individual sons and daughters, that you know us and care for us and want to have a relationship with us. We choose to believe and trust in you, Jesus. Help us to know that we are forgiven and set free from shame and condemnation. We are your children who you love with whom you are well pleased. In your name, Jesus. Amen. And second, I want to address those of us who have chosen not to use what God has given us or to let our passion die. Those of us who separate God from our daily lives, avoid the responsibility that he's given us and get on with our lives without letting God impact us or transform the work of our hands. And I've said already, as I was preparing and writing this sermon, I felt so convicted by God to repent for my lack of passion and enthusiasm for what God has given me. And I think... Sometimes it comes out in when we earn money, we can be selfish in the ways that we spend it and we save it because we don't acknowledge that it's actually not ours, that first it was God's and he's given it to us as a gift. And sometimes it comes out as being really busy and just not being able to afford time to pray or worship God or spend time with God or let him speak to us because there's just so much other stuff to do. And perhaps... Worst of all, we forget to remind ourselves daily of the power of the gospel. We have been given a gift from God 
that is so valuable, knowing who God is and knowing that he loves us and that Jesus has died for us and it has to be shared. But time and time again, we lose our passion for the good news, for telling others about it, for sharing how amazing it is that we are truly and completely loved by our Father in heaven to the extent that we can run away from him and actively avoid him and he still invites us back into relationship with him. This has to be shared. We are sitting on the good news, but sometimes we just don't share it. And that excuse is not good enough. The first two servants are enthusiastic and passionate and zealous, but the third servant is lazy and cold-hearted and lacking passion. And it is so hard to be like the first two servants all of the time. I find that sometimes I'm just not feeling it. We lose enthusiasm for church and we lose enthusiasm for our work or our vocation and for our roles as sons and daughters and wives and husbands and parents and friends. And if you feel the same, if you feel like God is convicting you that actually you've let things get lukewarm, that you need a fresh revelation of how powerful salvation is, of what it is that God has done for you and how you have a responsibility to share that with others, then I invite you to repent with me now. I said before that I find this parable scary in one sense because it is so easy to slip into the safety and the comfort of the third servant. He, he keeps it aside for safekeeping and he thinks that he's got it all sorted. I find it so easy to slip into that tendency. But actually, there is grace for us every single time. And God reaches his hand out to us. He's given us his words to convict us when we're getting things wrong. He's given us his Holy Spirit to convict us when, he's getting, when we're getting things wrong. And he guides us to be better and to look more like the first and second servants. And so I do believe that God is calling us this evening to repent for a lack of passion for the gospel to repent and say sorry and turn away from the times that actually we've prioritized our own desires rather than his. And the way that I'm gonna lead us in repentance is I'm gonna sing a song over us and Luke and Ellie are gonna join me as well. Uh, this is a song that was written by Lauren Harris and it was actually um, released on Friday. And as I sing this, over us, I just want you to open up your hearts to God to say sorry to him. Let the Holy Spirit convict you where you need to be convicted and know that God is a God who forgives us. He is slow to anger and quick to forgive. Spirit, we pray that you would come and fill us now. Jesus. 
fallen short We've wandered far from your ways Forgive us, O oh Lord We've sinned against your name We've fallen short We've fallen short again We've wandered far from your ways Forgive us, O oh Lord We've sinned against your name Lord, have mercy Christ, have mercy This is a song of repentance This is a plea to your heart Would you
So God, I thank you for your gift of grace to us. I thank you that you allow us to say sorry and turn away from our wrongdoing. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and fill us now with a passion for your name. Would you fill us again with an enthusiasm and a willingness like the first and second servants to follow your calling that you've placed on our lives, to share your good news with those around us and to love you more than we love one another, more than we love ourselves. Holy Spirit, give us a spiritual fervour to serve the Lord with all that we have. In your name, Jesus. Amen.